Yeah, if you if you got a question or two, I'm certainly happy to hear it. But we are going to unpack and solve all the problems in social media, free speech, the world as uh, as a whole. I love Stefan. Stefan is great. Everybody loves Stefan. Great name for a uh, what sitcom starring Ray Romano. How is my health? It's better. Let me tell you. So now I understand why it's important to have an extra 10 pounds of weight on you. Because, you know, maybe once in your life, so far once in my life, um, you'll get some inside-out brain-ravaging bug that is going to give you a technicolor yawn from just about every orifice you possess and some you didn't even know. Yeah, it's not. If it's possible to vomit from your chakra third eye, I think I've managed it. And um, I lost about... I don't know, 12, 12 13 pounds uh, over the last uh, 10 days or so. I'm, I'm mostly better now, but holy crap. I mean, literally holy crap. Um, what is it? Is it 3,500 calories for a pound, right? So let's say 10 pounds, I got 35,000 calories. Well, why do you need that extra 35,000 calories that you're carrying around as just like middle-aged saddlebags? Because if you get some belly-rotting hellscape disease of Krakatoanus, then... Uh, you kind of need that little bit of extra fat so that your body doesn't start eating your liver and spinal cord, right? Because your body needs the fuel. And if you can't bring anything in or, or, or keep anything down, what are you going to do? Well, what you're going to do is you're going to eat your saddlebags. So right now I'm in the phase where my body's like, okay, good. Glad we had the saddlebags. We got to get them back. Because what if it, what if we get ill like that again? You know, just that kind of question, right? So yes, that is... Uh, a significant issue. And uh, it's good to know that that's what that's all for. What's in the muck? Just a little decaf coffee. Everyone, donate your lemons. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, thank you for joining me here tonight. A great pleasure to chat with you this evening. That's right. Uh, so, all right. Hit me with a Y if you would like me to talk about how Twitter is getting played. Tell me if you would like me to talk about how Twitter is getting played like a secondhand fiddle by the racetrack. <laughs> That's right. All right. Okay, we got a mostly yes. You want gritty stuff only? You want me to do my Coco Taylor? <laughs> All right, so here's how Twitter's getting played. Hit me with a Y if you follow soccer. Right, football. Everywhere but America, soccer in America. All right. So, okay, so here's the thing. Have you seen this thing in soccer? What happens is the... Right, so in soccer, you've got to kick the ball. You can't kick the player, right? You've got to kick the ball. You can't kick the player. Now, if you kick the player then you get a fine, or you can get kicked off the game, you get timeouts, you get a red flag, a yellow flag, you name it. So you cannot, you cannot, you cannot petition the Lord with prayer. You cannot kick the player, you can only kick the ball. So, what is a strategy if, let's say, you've got some player on the other team who's really, really, really good, and you're not sure that you can win if that player stays on the field, right? What is, what is your strategy? What is your strategy 
if there's a really good player on the field and you don't think you can win if that player stays on the field, what do you do? Well, you go in for a foul, right? So what you do is you go in and you tangle. Yeah, you play, you, you, no, you play the refs, right? So what you do is, is like, let's say, you know, we got soccer player here, soccer player here, F- finger, finger in accident. This is kind of high quality uh, CGI that you get, right? No, what you do is you go in for a tangle and then you flop to the ground, holding your shins, screaming out in, energy, in agony and claim to have been kicked by that player. Right? That's just your strategy, right? And the Oscars for most convincing wound in a soccer game are regularly hand, handed out. And of course, in slow motion replay, you can look back, you can see there wasn't any contact, but you really, really can make it look believable that you got kicked and, and injured by that player. If the ref believes you that you got kicked and injured by that player, then that player is kicked off the game for a certain amount of time, whatever, right? Try and stay with the conversation. I know everybody wants to make their jokes, but (laughs) try and stay with the conversation. This is important. So if you face a superior opponent that you cannot beat with skill, you beat them with fakery. You beat them with pretending to be injured. You You see where I'm going with this with regards to free speech. If you face an opponent you can't beat, then you pretend to be injured, you pretend to be victimized by that opponent, and you can win against them by getting them kicked off the field. Now, you see see where I'm going with this, right? Which is if you are facing data or argumentation or rhetorical skill or maybe sophistry that you can't defeat, What do you do? You pretend to have been injured to get the other person kicked out of the game. In other words, when you are overwhelmed by an enemy, pretending to be injured is your strength move. It is your strength strategy. Now, this is kind of well-known in sports circles, right? You can also do this in baseball, right? So in baseball, you, as a pitcher, you throw the ball over the plate, but you can't hit the player, right? You can't hit the player. If you hit the player, the player gets a walk, which is the player gets to go to first base. So if you are a batter and you can convince the umpire, that the pitcher hit you with the ball, then you get a walk. You get to go to first base without having to, you know, hit the ball and and run like a madman and, you know, pull your middle-aged hamstrings and so on, right? So this is kind of a a skill set that some players develop. If the pitcher is too good and you can't get a good hit because the pitcher is too good, you can lean in a little. It's called crowding the plate, right? You can lean in a little and then what you can do is you can either pretend or, or let the pitcher ball hit you and then you get a walk, right? It's, you know, taking one for the team. Now, is it called cheating? Look, I, I hear what you're saying. Ideally, that's not how you'd want to play the game. It's bending the parameters of the game quite a bit. But 
Yeah, it's 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 an absolute strategy that people use. It's an absolute strategy that people use. So when it comes to free speech, you understand that there are these hall monitors, these tech Karens, and they run these trust and safety departments. Now, if you are up against a debate foe that you cannot overcome, that you cannot defeat, maybe he's got fantastic data, maybe he's really good at arguments or analogies, uh, maybe he doesn't break the wall of rudeness, but is just relentlessly polite and accurate and charming, and maybe he's way funnier than you, maybe he gets, you know, if, if you want to tell people the truth, you kind of have to make them laugh first, or at least like you, otherwise they'll kill you quicker rather than than later, right? So, so if you are up against a rhetorical opponent that you can't defeat, then what you do is you pretend to be wounded, you pretend to be injured, you pretend to be vulnerable and overwhelmed and, and crying and, and insulted and all that. And then you run to the moderators, you run to the umpires and you say, I have been injured. Now, maybe that person hasn't injured you, like your opponent hasn't injured you directly. So then what do you do? Well, you get a friend of yours to say, let's say Bob is your debating opponent and Bob is just mopping the floor with you. What you do then is you go and you get a friend of yours to create an account and to say, I'm a great follower of Bob's and you're a like whatever horrible term that you could use. And then you could say, well, Bob, Bob, you see, is inciting violence against me because a follower of Bob's is being mean to me, is, is, is insulting me, is, is calling me terrible names or whatever, right? So... Every system that can even remotely claim to be fair, just, rational, you name it, has to deal with this reality that victimization is very often a play for power. Victimization is very often against, it's a play for power. You see this, of course, in the animal kingdom all the time, right? One dog will attack another dog if the other dog can't win. It will just roll over, it will submit, it will bear its neck, and this way it's attempting to control the aggression of the dog that is winning. So playing the victim to gain power is incredibly, incredibly, it's an incredibly powerful and an incredibly common move. It generally works not so well in the animal kingdom, because the, the dog that is dominated by the bigger or fiercer dog remains lower in the pecking order, but it does survive and so on, right? Oh, Sam Harris was on Glenn Laurie discussing race differences in IQ. He said it's too dangerous. Well, then I guess he shouldn't be talking about it if he finds it too dangerous. What can I tell you, right? I mean, I think it's too dangerous not to talk about, but that's, uh, that's for the community as a whole to... To, uh, to decide. So, look, here's the, here's the reality, right? So this is um, where, Twitter, where Twitter is at, okay? So uh, Twitter's top lawyer, this is from Business Insider, Twitter's top lawyer who angered conservatives with her past decisions about moderating content cried when discussing the Elon Musk purchase with employees, report said. This came out just today. 
uh, Twitter's top attorney and a key voice in decisions such as barring President Donald Trump from the platform, became emotional and cried in a meeting with employees discussing Elon Musk's acquisition of the platform on Monday. Vijaya Gadi, Vijaya Gadi, Twitter's head of legal policy and trust, is said to have played a large role in content moderation, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah, she got emotional. She she cried uh, about all of this. And I think that's, I don't know. I don't know that there's much crying in the top top of tech, but whatever, right? And she has really talked about, you know, protecting the vulnerable, the overwhelmed, and, and so on, and making sure that people aren't, hurt or upset by, you know, what goes on in in Twitter. And that's a pretty wild thing. I'm just going to see if I can find the, there was a couple of quotes. Sorry, I thought I had this up already, but there's a couple of quotes uh, about this stuff that I think is, is really important. Oh, yeah, here we go. Um, Gadi, who has worked at Twitter since 2011, is the key executive charged with overseeing Twitter's trust and safety, legal and public policy functions. She's seen internally as Twitter's moral authority and the executive tasked with the handling of sensitive issues like harassment and dangerous speech. So um, she has shepherded Twitter through some of its most contentious political battles, including the decisions to remove all political advertising and to boot former President Donald Trump from the platform in the wake of the Jan 6 attack on Capitol Hill. Um, she said, um, Musk has called for Twitter to tr- tr- truly embrace free speech and has advocated for open sourcing Twitter's algorithm and removing all spam bots from the platform. Uh, most significantly, Musk has signaled he supports vastly loosening the company's content moderation policies, suggesting it should only remove content if it is required by law. Right, there's a huge shift, shift for the company, which has spent years creating elaborate guidelines to reduce the amount of vitriolic and threatening content on its platform well no if extreme leftists dox people on the right or considered on the far right i mean there's lots of examples where that doesn't i mean twitter openly says that doesn't violate its policies or whatever right so vitriolic and threatening content okay so like communism communists killed 100 million people in the 20th century right alone and they didn't even have the whole 20th century because Russia was 1917, right? So it killed 100 million people. And if there is such a thing as hate speech, communism is hate speech, and without a doubt. Advocating for violent overthrows, uh, the liquidation of class enemies, and so on. If that's not hate speech, I don't know what is. But then there's no such thing. So if you allow pro-communist speech, then you're allowing the most virulent and violent speech the world has ever seen. I mean... And and you have not only communists on Twitter all over the place, you have them in universities by the tens of thousands throughout the West and so on. Like open communists, not even like left-leaning, right? So, no, uh, that's not uh, that's not the case at all, right? I mean, the idea that, I mean, again, if you're going to allow communism, then you there's no such, then don't talk to me about hate speech. Like just, it's ridiculous. It's, it's a complete non-starter. So... This is what Gadi said in the 2015 Washington Post op-ed. She said, I'm often inspired by the vigorous debates on controversial issues that occur on Twitter. But I've also been seriously troubled by the plight of some of our users who are completely overwhelmed by those who are trying to silence healthy discourse in the name of free expression. At times, this takes the form of hateful speech in tweets directed at women or minority groups. At others, it takes the form of threats aimed to intimidate those who take a stand on issues. 
So that's really interesting. Like this, this, this phrase, this way of looking at it, right? The plight of some of our users. So plight is, you know, the, the poor helpless users. They're overwhelmed uh, by trying to silence healthy discourse in the name of free expression, right? So, of course, if people are politely correcting others or putting forward arguments in a reasonable fashion, then they get silenced by being thrown off social media platforms, right? Kicked off social media platforms. So that doesn't solve it. But women or minority groups, right? So these are groups that, for whatever reason as a whole, are saying, I'm hurt, right? The, the player kicked me, and therefore you should kick the player out of the game. It's a soccer victim strategy. It's a lean into the plate, get hit by the pitcher, and take your base strategy. And this is what I mean when I say getting played. It's really, really important to understand this kind of stuff. This is what I'm talking about in terms of getting played. Because everybody recognizes that the cry-bully strategy is extremely common in human society. To run, I mean, everybody knows this. Look, come on. Everybody's had this experience, you know, when you're a kid, right? So when you're a kid, hit me with a why if this ever happened to you. Your, uh, your sister hits you, and then when you start towards her, she cries out to mom, and says she's scared of you. This can also happen in uh, in school, right? It's also happened in school where some kid uh, trips you and you get up to um, push them back or whatever, and they cry and they run to the teacher, right? This strategy of claiming to be hurt, right, of instigating aggression and then claiming to be hurt and then running to get the other person kicked out is ridiculously common. Ridiculously common. And every system that aims to moderate must be aware of this and must say, because, you know, they say, oh, well, women, minorities, whoever, they want to be empowered. Right? Well, well, if they run to the web Karens, and, and say, uh, I'm, I'm upset because of so-and-so. And then they say, well, we'll make so-and-so disappear. Then you're stepping in to protect people at the same time as you say that they're strong and capable and, and running, uh, stunning and brave and need to be empowered, like are already empowered, right? I think that men probably are a little bit more aware of this strategy because this strategy is used against men. But any system that needs or claims to be able to moderate that doesn't have a deep understanding that you weaken people by letting their weakness strong arm others, right? You, you, if you, whatever you reward, you get more of. Whatever you punish, you get less of, right? So if people are rewarded for crying victim, right? Right. Oh, I got a mean tweet. Uh, this person who claims to be a follower of Bob sent me something mean, therefore Bob needs to be banned, right? Well, first of all, that's collective punishment, right? That's collective punishment. Anybody can say they're a follower of anyone, and recognizing that deception is the first and final art of war, right? Deception is the first and final art of war. So, any system that doesn't have something 
into account where they say, okay, let's say it's, it's women, right? Okay, well, you know, women are strong, women are equal, women are, you know, want all of this um, independence and authority and they don't need no man. Okay, well, you know, men, men get more abuse online than women and men manage to hang in there and, and still make things happen and make their arguments. So the argument then would be, you know, it's the old thing that all criticism of women is misogyny. It's this really boring argument and, and lazy and, and all of that kind of stuff, right? But to say to people, look, if you're not experiencing criminal death threats or doxing or, or whatever it is, then if you're not constituted for the aggression of essential discourse, because we, you know, we're not talking about which Star Wars was the better movie, right? We're talking about, you know, when it comes to politics, which levels of state force should be leveled against which people, right? So it's a pretty intense argument, right? How much debt should be piled onto the next generation? So yeah, it's going to get kind of punchy. And if you're a guy, let's say you go to a, um, a boxing gym, right? You go to a boxing gym and let's say you're not a particularly experienced boxer and you don't know what you're doing and you're not very strong and you, you haven't trained. So then when you get into the boxing ring to, to spar with people, if you get knocked on your ass, what are the men at the gym say? Do they say, well, we're just going to ban all the doctor, all of the boxers who are better? No. They would never do that. They would never say, oh, are you, are you getting beaten by the Bob the Boxer? Well, don't worry, don't sweat it, we'll just ban Bob the Boxer. They wouldn't do that. They would say what they say. Everybody knows what they would say. They would say, well, you need to train. If you are getting knocked on your ass, then you're punching above your weight. You're, 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 trying to, <laughs> you're trying to beat people who are much better than you. Right? That, that's what they would say, go, go and train, right? So if you're online and you engage in a debate with someone and that person knocks you on your butt then, of course, the, the male response in general, at least there is, I don't know what it is for men these days, but the response of the men that I grew up with would be, oh, yeah, he's really good. <laughs> no wonder, but maybe you're kind of new to this sport and you, you, got, you got cocky, you got overconfident, you thought, I'm going to go in there and beat up Bob, but, you know, Bob's been training for seven years. He's, you know, won a whole bunch of bouts and, of course, he's going to kick your butt. So you need to, you know... You, now you know a little bit more about where you are in the pecking order. So if you want to beat Bob, you got to go, you got to go train, right? And I mean that's tough. It's humiliating, right? It's humiliating when you think you're better at something than you are, and then you know it's the big fish in the little pond scenario, right? When I was, I was the best, or at least the most in-demand actor in my university. All the directors wanted, to, then they did cast me as leads in their plays from Harold Pinter to Chekhov to you name it, right? And then when I went to theater school and when I was auditioning for the National Theater School, they were taking 16 people out of 1,600 or 2,000 applicants. So what did that's like? They took less than 1% of the people who applied. So of course, the people that I was in theater school with were really, really, really good actors. And I had to really up my game to stay in that situation. And 
when you get to the big fish in a little pond scenario, that's kind of important. Like it's one thing to be the best comedian at amateur night. It's another thing to headline at Yuck Yucks or the Montreal Comedy Festival or something like that. It's just upping your game. And when you lose against someone, generally the male response is, okay, go back and get better. Right? It's a meritocracy. You can't ask other people to pull their punches because you're bad in the ring. But if there's a, a, a referee who can ban boxers for being too good, and a lot of times that's the case. A lot of times people get banned because they have great arguments that other people can't overcome and are emotionally triggering. Right? So if, if you're really good at boxing, there's no umpire in the boxing gym who's going to say, oh, Bob, you, you beat this new boxer? You've got 10 years experience. This other boxer's only got two months experience. You beat him? You're banned, son. You're banned. No way. This, this guy with two months experience, he's got to rule the ring. you got to go. That's incomprehensible in the male world, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine something like that? Can you imagine something like that? Wouldn't happen. I am just a poor boy, though my story is seldom told. Right, so it just, it wouldn't happen. Now, when you have an umpire, though, that can ban the best boxer, then a strategy would be to befriend the umpire, to make the umpire really like you, to cry bitter tears, and maybe for the umpire to be a woman. I don't know, right? But, but one strategy would be, and it would be a whole lot easier than training and going out and getting your ass handed to you on a platter forever, right? By Bob the Boxer. It's kind of painful. Get knocked down all over and over and over again, right? Pissing the night away. Oh, I'm in a singy mood. <laughs> so... If you have that umpire, you befriend the umpire, you get the umpire to kick out Bob, and next thing you know, you just moved way up. And if you just, everyone who's better than you, just kick him out and say, Bob is offending me by beating me. Because that's what people are really saying, right? They're just offending me by, you, you, uh, right? show us my mug. It's not that interesting, right? My mug is because I'm the dungeon master, that's why, with a 20-sided D&D dice on the top. Mug flash, that's right. So how is Twitter getting played? Twitter is getting played because the victims or the less competent are crying foul, pretending that the more competent debaters have hurt them and getting the more competent debaters kicked off, which makes Twitter less interesting, less economically viable. The correct answer to people who say, you've, you know, you've got to kick so-and-so off because they're offensive is saying, it's like saying, you got to kick Bob out because he it hurts when he hits me. It's like, you know this is boxing, right? You know this is boxing, right? It's supposed to hurt. That's how boxing works. That's how you know someone has won and someone has lost. Because the person who hurts more usually has lost more. Of course you're offended when you're in a moral debate and you lose, of course, because you think your position is moral and your opponent's position is immoral. And if you've lost, 
then somehow the moral universe has taken a foundational crack from which ethics will never recover. Of course you're offended when you lose. Of course you're upset. Of course you feel like the world is disintegrating around you. Of course you are. <laughs> because debating about morals is important. It matters. Of course you're upset. Of course you're shaking. Of course you're trembling. Of course you bury your head and cry bitter tears into the darkness. Of course, that's the reality. Hell, I don't like losing in Rocket League. <laughs> Think about ethics. And because I don't like losing when it comes to ethics, not because it's like a personal vanity thing. I mean, there's a little bit of that in it, but mostly because if I lose in ethics, ethics lose as a whole because I think I'm really good at ethics. So I owe it to ethics to be really, really well prepared for debates, right? I owe it to ethics to be really, really well prepared. And how the hell do you ever improve if you never lose? And people who run to the umpire and say, Bob, the boxer has to be banned because he's better than me, what are they saying? They're saying, I'm never going to get better. What's the point of getting better? I just run to the umpire and get my opponent who makes me feel bad eliminated from the field. I was accused of prejudice, of course, all this sort of nonsense. I was accused of hurting people's feelings. But I was not accused, this is very interesting, I was not accused of being wrong. I was not accused of being wrong. And the reason for that is I was simply delivering the science from people who'd studied it their whole lives, right? So I had 17 interviews with world-renowned experts. Like I, I was just delivering the data. I had all the sources, right? So just shoot the messenger stuff, right? Getting mad at me, right? People's upset occurs. People's most foundational upset occurs when they are driven to the potential realization that they might be the fucking bad guys. That's really rough for people, right? And look, everybody with any brain who's involved in moral issues has woken up one day and said, wait, am I, am, am I, am I on the black hat team? Could I be a bad guy? It's, it's important. Everybody, everybody who cares anything about ethics at one point has had that dark night of the soul where you say, yeah, maybe I am a, you know, I have to be open to the possibility that I'm a really bad guy, even if I claim good intentions, right? I'll be the baddies. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And if you go up against people you significantly oppose morally and they hand you your ass on a platter, you think they're evil, I'm good, but they keep winning. I mean, what are, your, what are your logical possibilities when that hurts, right? What are your logical possibilities? Well, one logical possibility is that they're right. <laughs> right. One logical possibility is that they're right. And they're correct and they're moral and you're incorrect. And because you're advocating incorrect morals, you're a bad guy. That's really tough. 
You know, it's really tough, really hard to wake up in the morning and say, I'm a bad guy. Hit me with a why if you would like me to tell you about one of those days in my life. Where I realized I was doing wrong. Yeah, you want to hear? Yeah, look, I mean, I'm not ashamed of it. In fact, I would be ashamed if it, if I'd never gone through this at all. It would meant that I completely lacked, I, I would have a vampire's capacity for self-reflection. All right. Are you ready to hear about my day of being the bad guy? That's right. We're standing for this one. Unfortunately, I set my camera for, I've got to, I've got to why my legs because I set my camera for sitting. Okay, so here was my day of waking up and realizing I was a bad guy. I had been studying philosophy for about 20 years at this point. Little under, mid-teens to early 30s. And I talked a lot about integrity and virtue, moral courage, integrity, he repeated, and I looked to my left, I looked to my right, I looked straight ahead at the people around me. And I said, okay, Mr. Integrity, where is your integrity in your relationships? Where is your manifested virtue in the relationships you have with those around you? You've given them a long time to learn virtue. You've modeled it. You've argued for it. You've debated it. Have they listened? If you think that philosophy matters... Why doesn't it matter in your relationships? If you think that modeling virtue is a really good idea, why do, why do you not model it in your relationships? If the spread of virtue is important and people around you are not receptive to the spread of virtue, How could you justify that in any way, shape, or form? That was round one. Left me reeling. Round two was, listen, you hypocrite. You tell the world that it needs to make enormous sacrifices in the pursuit of virtue. The people who are on the welfare state need to become productive or get by on charity or find some other method to pay their bills because the, virtues, the, the welfare state is based on coercion, which is immoral and blah, 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 right? All those university professors who rely on the government to protect their tenure and their sabbaticals and their summers off and their pensions and, you know, they're just going to have to submit to the discipline of the free market, you know? A lot of people are going to have to make a lot of sacrifices for the non-aggression principle, people are going to have to make sacrifices for virtue. 
You're out there thundering and beating your chest. You unbelievable hypocrite. <laughs> so, you shouldn't laugh so far in the past. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh, but I, you know, that's a dark night of the soul. You look in the mirror and say, the hell are you doing? Why are you flapping your gums about something you're not doing yourself? Other people, you see, should make enormous sacrifices for the cause of virtue. But you shouldn't give up some crappy relationship you've had since junior high with somebody who's never going to grow and never going to change and constantly undermines your transmission of virtue and integrity in the world. You're just going to put up with that. People got to give up the welfare state, but you can't give up crappy friendships from when you were 13? <laughs> Oh, physician, heal thyself. <laughs> Priest, touch the Bible and see if it burns you. Candidate. I mean, I've had a couple of these kinds of things over the course of my life. But, yeah, not living your values. And I realized that I was doing harm to virtue by preaching virtue without living virtue. Right? If you preach a diet but you don't follow the diet, but you claim that you are following the diet and the diet is really good for people, you're spreading illness and obesity and ill health and joint pain and you name it, right? If you say, oh, Bob's diet and workout regimen is fantastic, I follow it religiously and you're 300 pounds of blubber. You're fucking up people's health. You're discrediting the diet more than if you'd never talked about it at all. I was discrediting morality more by yapping on about it without living it than if I'd never opened my mouth about morality at all. In fact, I was an agency of anti-morality by living such hypocrisy. And what excuse did I have? My, my literary heroes, the, the, the Howard Rourke's and the John Galt's, the, the, my literary heroes, Victor Hugo, heroes, all of these people. I had all of the template, the recipe, the examples of all the people who made massive sacrifice, even in their own personal lives, for the pursuit of virtue, and I wasn't willing to do 1% of it. 1% of it. Never was the Bible verse more truly felt in my bone marrow that day, that 4 a.m. staring, shaking at the streetlights by the window moment. Why are you so concerned with the mote of dust in your brother's eye and ignoring the giant beam in yours? I'm a bad guy. And that was my road to redemption. It was utterly inescapable. Now, to, to my credit, I mean, I'm not mad at myself because as soon as I got the insight, I started to work on it, and you can't know before you know, but I definitely had. And it gave me a lot more patience when it came to dealing with other people and their addiction to theory over practice, right? Their addiction to theory over practice. It's a very big deal. I don't think that makes you a bad guy. I think it makes you an imperfect human. No, I appreciate that. I appreciate that. And, but, but no, I, I, I was doing wrong. I was doing wrong by espousing 
moral arguments without living them in my relationships. Because I was saying to people, oh yeah, it's really important to get important. It's really important to get worked up and, and fascinated by and, and dedicate yourself to morality, but only in the abstract. It should never actually touch your personal life in, in any foundational way. No, that's not good. And look again, I'm not saying I was some evil do. I wasn't violating the non-aggression principle, but I was not living at all the ideals the way that I described them to others, right? Yeah, integrity dictates once you know you are lacking to work on it. Now, again, uh, our entire society is dedicated to, if you're interested in morals, we're going to shift you into the most abstract and abstruse uh, topics so that you never actually do anything to threaten any actual interests of people in actual power. So I get all of that. but And that's why very early on in the, uh, I think it was my second or third podcast, I started talking about relationships. But no, going from theory to practice is terrifying when it comes to morality. Going from theory to practice is terrifying. And so the people, in, these are trust and safety pe people, and I'm not speaking about anyone in particular, but just in general, if you're not, if, if you're involved in, in banning people for offending others, and you never sit there and say, you know, if I have the power to ban people for offending others, why wouldn't people use my banning power and pretend to be offended in order to control my ban hammer? And wouldn't that be the people who are the least competent but the least pride, right? Getting a superior boxer banned from the boxing gym is not an expression of pride. It is an expression of incompetence and manipulation and it's setting into concrete self-humiliation. Because if you can't beat Bob, I got a big idea, don't fight Bob. Just don't fight him. Go do something else. Maybe, just maybe, you're really good at chess and not boxing, and then you can become good at chess and you can beat Bob at chess. But when it comes to boxing, Bob's kind of running rings around you and knocking you on your ass. You can't beat Bob unless you, again, you can train like crazy and maybe Bob will age out, but you don't age out of debating unless you get some horrible brain ailment. You don't age out of debating. You generally get better. And it's really tough to substitute. You know, people who come wandering in, like I started, I've been debating since I was in my early teens, right? It's 40 plus years of debating, right? I debated in, among my friends, I debated in junior high school. I was on the debate team in high school. I was on the debate team in university. I debated in all of my courses. Uh, I debated when I was um, a business manager. I debated when I was a director in, in directing my own play in, in the theater world. I, I've been debating like forever. It doesn't mean I'm always right. Of course, it doesn't mean that I'm always going to win, but it's not easy. You can't, I'm not a pushover when it comes to that kind of stuff. And I, I prepare, even though I'm very experienced and very skilled, I still prepare like crazy. Every time I've had a debate, I get together with friends and I run through my arguments, run through their opposition, run through how I'm going to answer this. I still practice like crazy for a debate, even though I've got four plus, 40 plus years of experience. So that's, that's the question. And I don't know that that's the question that's asked. I've never seen it asked in any sort of censorship or, or suppression or ban hammer environment, which is... Okay, so if I can ban people for being upset, won't people pretend to be upset in order to eliminate the competition? 
You don't think umpires in soccer know that soccer players fake injuries to get better players kicked off the field? You don't think they're trained for that? Of course. If you, like, can you imagine someone at the top of FIFA soccer tournament, some umpire, and some player is writhing around on the ground, clutching at his shin, and someone says, uh, another umpire comes up and says, well, he could be faking. And the first umpire says, oh, what are you talking about? You, are you saying that man is in pain, is faking it just to get some player kicked off the field? The man is in genuine agony. What do you, t- don't you have any compassion? Where's your caring for this poor man with the shattered shin who may never be able to walk again? Help him, the poor guy. You reach down and give him a hug. Played, baby. You played. Always a possibility. And if I was ever a manager in any of these kinds of tech companies, and I've been a manager and I was chief technical officer, director of technology, a couple of different companies, man, I know my stuff, man. First thing I'd be like is, okay, how do you know you're not getting played? (laughs) If you have the power to ban people based upon other people being upset, the first thing the people are going to do is fake being upset to get you to ban people they can't beat. If you've got a policy that says, well, any boxer that boxes another that hits another person in the in the groin or gets immediately banned, right? And and someone goes in who, who gets their ass handed to them and then comes to you and says, yeah, but he punched me in the groin. <laughs> now, let's say, let's say that there was a, a boxing match in the local boxing gym with a $10,000 prize. And someone came along and said, oh, yeah, I was sparring with Bob and he punched me in the groin. And you know that Bob is the person they have to beat to get the $10,000. In other words, if you believe that Bob punched them in the groin, they get $10,000. You don't think that they might have an incentive to say, oh, Bob punched me in the groin. It's so painful. (laughs) $10,000. You have a political agenda and someone's really good at arguing the counter. How do you know you're not being played by the crime bullies? How is that dealt with? How is that discussed? That people might play the mods to get people they can't be kicked off for reasons of power and control. Right? Have you ever heard, people, I mean, you guys have studied this stuff as well, right? Have you ever heard anybody in charge of moderation at a social media company saying, there is a big problem, which is that people pretend to be upset in order to provoke bans from people they dislike or can't beat? What mechanisms have, and, and this is what shareholders should be asking, what mechanisms have you put in place to make sure the mods aren't being played by people who can't compete. Have you ever heard that discussion? No. Right? No. I've never heard it. You've never heard it. Never heard that discussion. How are we going to deal with the fact that our mods are going to get played by pretend victims in order to control who gets to speak? Because the way that you get someone 
to lose credibility is beat their ass in a debate. If someone keeps wandering into debates and keeps giving that thousand-yard stare, can't answer questions, doesn't have the data, then you will slowly or very rapidly, you will erode their credibility. That's how you do it. You know, I'm a huge fan of what's called steel manning, right? So straw manning is when you give your opponent the weakest possible argument, usually one they've never made, and then... You beat that, right? Steel manning is when you give your opponent the very strongest possible case and work with that. Well, and of course, um, you know, the admins, a lot of them come out of uh, higher education. In higher education, everybody knows more so these days that if you disagree with the professor, particularly if they're on the left, but if you disagree with the professor, the professor is likely to fail you, right? How do moderators deal with the foundational issue that people fake being upset in order to win debates? To get people banned. I'm really upset. Everyone's really upset. So-and-so, all of my friends, everyone, we're going to get a thousand people to mass flag this person for being offensive and upsetting, right? When you've got trillions of dollars in play through political decisions... And debate significantly influences political decisions. Of course, people are going to try and get their opponents banned. Of course they are. It's absolutely inevitable. And what processes are in place to deal with this fundamental manipulation? This completely obvious IQ 90 plus stuff, this completely obvious stuff, that particularly when morals are at play, morals which inform politics, which inform trillions of dollars of spending, when morals are in play, that people will cheat. <laughs> do social media companies know that people cheat well of course they do because they say hey look we banned you but if you come on as someone like you create some new account we could ban that too why do you know why because people try to evade bans right they they create new names <laughs> They try to get back on platforms. Oh, my God, you know, people can cheat. They can cheat. They can try and bypass their bands. They can cheat. <laughs> wow, people cheat, do they? <laughs> but they never cheat by being upset and controlling the band hammers that way. No, of course not. Only the people we ban, the, the people we ban are the only people who ever cheat on this system ever. <laughs> <laughs> That's mad. <laughs> it's dead. Oh man, it's completely bad. Oh. Okay, so enough of that. Let's let's talk about another topic, which is similar but interesting, right? So, do you know? So, so Elon Musk is talking about 
legal speech is allowed on the platform, right? So do you know what the typical arguments are against allowing legal speech on the platform? You outsource the moderation to the courts because you don't have to pay for that in terms of employee counts and so on. Now, you lose a lot of power and arbitrary power for banning people, but what you do is you say, okay, if the courts have ruled that the speech is illegal, it's defamatory, it's an incitement to violence, if the courts have ruled that the speech is illegal, we will remove it from our platform. And that way the moderation stuff is all outsourced to the court system as a whole. There's a presumption of innocence, at least not in France, but most places, and there's, a, there's due process uh, in a court of law. You get to cross-examine. There's a discovery and all that, right? So, like, do you know what the arguments are against that? Why people say, well, of course, that's never going to work. You can't possibly have that. Anyone? Well, one argument is, uh, is something like this. So... The argument is, look, so, I don't know, like, graphic pornography, uh, beheading videos. So, these are legal speech, so to speak, right? They're, they're legal images, legal speech. And so what's going to happen is, if you don't have any moderation policies, then everything that, that goes on on your site, we'll call it mind bank, right? So let's say you're coming up with some social media system gets really popular, it's called mind bank. Then what happens is the trolls just post you know, hardcore pornography and they post beheading videos and gore fest splatter things and, and murder videos and whatever, right? And and because you don't have any content moderation, these things may be legal in terms of communication, but nobody is going to want to have anything to do with this platform, right? So a lot of people, why do they go to MindBank? They go to MindBank because you know, these big celebrities are on it and, and people just have these weird fetishistic want to have a, I want to know what The Rock is thinking. <laughs> and he's thinking, oh, this is heavy. So, and there's a movie with the word jungle in it. I must be part of it. So people go to these celebrity accounts and they follow these celebrity accounts and that's why they're there. But if the celebrity accounts have gore, pornography, whatever, flowing constantly, then it's not going to work. So so then you say, okay, well, okay, we have to, obviously, we can't have the hardcore pornography. We can't have beheading videos. We can't have murder videos. We can't have, you know, uh, people getting their heads dashed by a rock on some stupid selfie video. Like, we can't have all of this kind of stuff. So we're going to have to start to moderate, even though the speech is legal, right? Have you heard these, uh, these, kinds, of, uh, these kinds of arguments? Uh, this is, um, and, and of course, it's on TV and you no know, swearing and, and all, like no pornography on TV and stuff like that, right? So, this is this is the this is the argument. Now, the question is, and I, I I like to give myself these exercises. I really do, right? So, first of all, you have to recognize one fundamental thing: is that whatever censorship you put in place, whatever let's say moderation, whatever moderation you put in place. In general, over time, I'm not saying this is the case with any social media company right now, but in general, over time, the worst elements will end up dominating it. And I don't just mean the, the management or anything. It's just that the, the, the people who are offended and upset will cry and, and scream, and then the media will pick it up and amplify, and, and, and then you'll end up with, you know, the worst people will end up running 
your moderation system, and, and usually the end users, right? Because the least mature, the most volatile, the most offended, the most upset, the most angry, the blah, 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 right? So you have to recognize whatever you put in place, the worst people are going to end up running the show in, in one form or another. That's inevitable, right? Because why? Because power corrupts. We all recognize and accept that. And moderation on global conversations is a pretty, pretty heady power. <laughs> you can move into our elections for that stuff, right? And so that's the first thing. You say, okay, well, we've got to get rid of these absolutely terrible things because nobody's going to use our platform if every time they log in to see what Joe Bob celebrity is thinking, they get hit with hardcore violence and pornography. And like, they just, they just won't log on, right? People won't, you know, it's not like you're, it's not like you're going to, you know, log on, 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 the, on the bus, right? And, and scroll through mind banks, whatever, right? And, and then people on the bus are going to see you scrolling through violence and pornography and they'll be like, whoa, dude, right? It's not like you'd, uh, not like you'd send a link to your mom of, of some recipe from Martha Stewart and then they, she scrolls down and see, right? So, this is the general fear and concern that all of this terrible stuff is going to uh, is going to happen, and so so what do you do? In, in other words, what's the fundamental problem that allows this to happen? Right? What's the fundamental problem that like that 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 allows this to happen? Well, it's the same problem that allows spam to happen. Does anybody know why spam? happens fundamentally does anybody know why spam occurs why your junk box is full to the brim if you've been on the internet for more than 12 minutes does anybody know why why spam occurs uh, spam occurs because emails are free right? that's why spam occurs spam occurs because email is free and therefore you know if, if it costs a, if it costs a penny to send an email then the cost benefit would not be worth it. No, no, spam is, you know, people could come to your house, knock on your door and try and get you to give them their, your bank account information or whatever, because they'd say, oh, we've got some, you know, but then they'd be, uh, we've got some inheritance or whatever, but then they'd be on video and it's a lot of footwork and, and they're trackable and they're traceable and you've got their faces and the time investment is significant and the, the amount of people who would say no would be significant and some people have dogs that might, they might set them on you and so on, right? So spam, spam exists because the government invented the architecture for the internet and email is free. I mean, I understand it's not free, nothing's free, but you know, in terms of like, you don't have to pay to send an email. So that's why. So does anyone know why trawling is such a problem? Well, it's the same reason, right? Trawling is such a problem because trolls can do what they do for free. Right? You can come and... and trash people and post horrible stuff and write, it's free. No, no, not because it's easy. It's because it's free. Right? Because it's free. Now, you can say it costs you time, but it's not like trolls have a whole bunch of other things they're going to be doing with their lives as a whole, right? No barrier to entry. Yeah, it's friction-free. It's friction-free. You can create an account on this fictional company MindBank. And sorry if there is a real company MindBank. I just, you know, just using this as my own example, right? MindBank 555, whatever, right? So because you can create an account for free and you can post for free, 
you can do it all and you don't there's no limitation in terms of costs well and no damage yeah you're right james no damage to their reputations right because they're anonymous right now more fundamentally why is there trolling like why is it that whenever you create something beautiful people come and take a long slow herd on a turd type dump on your beautiful 200 thread count silk sheets Right? Why is it that whenever you build something beautiful, everyone comes along or half the population comes along and just shits on it? Why? Why do they do that? What, what is going on? Do you, do you know the mind space behind trolling? Why is it that people just want to... Like, why is it that when you create something beautiful, people's, some people's immediate urge is to put graffiti on it? To get a rise out of you? No, because they could get a rise out of you by posting something beautiful. Right? Jealousy? Yeah, I think that's something to do with it. To feel better about themselves, sadist, right? Well, I'll tell you why they do it. And this is not a plea for sympathy, but just a plea for understanding. You can understand things without sympathizing with them, right? So, the reason why trolls exist is because they were beautiful and they were destroyed. So then whenever they see something beautiful, they wish to destroy it as a protest for their own destruction. They were beautiful. They were born beautiful as we all are. They were born as healthy children. They were born beautiful. And they were destroyed by abusive parents, by teachers, by leaders of of political or theological kinds. They were born beautiful and they were destroyed and society let it happen. And society may have encouraged it to happen through paying the teachers or reinforcing the virtues of the parents. So society is a willing accomplice in the destruction of their own beauty as children. And so now every time they see something beautiful, they're like, well, fuck you, man. You all burnt me at the stake when I was a kid and helpless. So if you have anything beautiful, I'm going to destroy it too. No, it's not hatred of the good for being the good. That's just a description, right? Saying cancer is cells that reproduce to an unhealthy degree, that's a description. But why are they doing it? That's where the cure is. That's where the prevention is. That's where the solution is, the why, not the what. Why do people steal? Because they were stolen from. Why do people rape? Because they were sexually abused as children. Why do people shit on something beautiful because the beauty of their own existence was shit on by society for their entire lives. I don't know, like I'm not saying that's a fix, like just being able to identify that, but if you have a knee-jerk reaction to destroy something that is beautiful, right, like Jake LaMotta in the movie Raging Bull, you know, like this, his girlfriend is attracted to some handsome guy and he just smashes that guy because he can't be beautiful himself. In a peaceful parenting society will have almost no issues with trolls because the beauty of the child will be preserved by the fence-like virtues of the parents and society as a whole. Children will not be humiliated. They will not be destroyed. They will not be bullied. They will not be undermined. They will not be corrupted verbally. They will not be raped. They will not be used. They will not be neglected or abandoned. Yeah, the fight club scene with the blunt dude. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, for sure. 
Most I've talked to that troll do it out of boredom. Well, but that's what the trolls say. You, somebody who has an urge to shit on anything beautiful or positive, why on earth would you expect them to respect the truth? Come on. Why would somebody have a knee-jerk reaction to bring foulness to something positive? Because they wish for society to recognize and apologize for how they were destroyed themselves as children. No, trolls are not bored. Boredom does not lead to trollery, right? It's not enough. It's not enough of an answer, not even close to enough of an answer, because there are many, many people who are bored in the world who don't become trolls. People who are bored sometimes write symphonies. People who are bored sometimes build the Taj Mahal. People who are bored sometimes learn how to play badminton or go exercise. People who are bored don't inflict it on others. Boredom is not a destructive emotion or experience at all. It does not lead to destruction. There are no dominoes that lead people to be destructive when they're bored. Boredom is not a causality. Yeah, if you're a beautiful child and you're raped and society ignores it, then you grow up in society, puts beauty as its highest value. It is the rage that the violated child has at the society that endlessly praises itself and defends the child's abusers. Do you understand? The child who is, it's not the abuse that most harms the child in most circumstances. It's not at all the abuse, and the abuse is perfectly recoverable from from most children. It's not the abuse that produces lasting trauma in the child. It is the cover-up of the abuse, the refusal to talk about it, the refusal of society to take a stand to actually defend the child. I talked about this in a novel I wrote many, many, many years ago. Imagine the following scenario. Imagine you were raped by an uncle as a child in your family. Now, as an adult in your 20s, you finally get the courage, and at Thanksgiving dinner, when all 40 or 50 people are around a table, you say, Uncle so-and-so raped me as a child. Who is your family going to get angry at in the moment? Most likely. Who is your family going to get angry at? Who is your family going to try and suppress? Who is your family going to try and get to shut up or recant or change the story? Who are they going to be most bothered by? You, yeah, of course. Of course, they will be resentful at you for bringing this up. And that's where trolling comes from. Not the being raped, but a society that sides with the rapist and attacks the truth teller, attacks the victim. You understand? That's, that's the harm is not, I mean, the harm is the rape, of course, right? Absolutely. But the harm is knowing that you live in a society that attacks the victims and protects the rapist. Or at least that's its impulse for sure absolutely i know this i talked about child abuse and then you don't have to spend time with unapologetic and relentlessly abusive parents and society attacked me in order to defend the abusers i mean this is this is how society is
This is how society is. And the reason being that the, the uncle who raped you as a child is a dangerous guy, right? You, as the victim, are not dangerous to them. But Charlie, or whoever, like some uncle guy who raped you as a kid, if the family can, turns to him and says, my God, you have to explain yourself. What the hell happened here? My God, like, what's the evidence? We got to sit down. Everybody put your food aside. Put your drinks down. We deal with this now until the dawn arises if we have to. Well, the pedophile uncle can be extremely dangerous, right? So they want to shut you up to keep themselves out of the danger of the child attacker, right? When did rape tie into trolling? I heard your argument, but the measurement of the argument is a bit extreme. No. This is a self-knowledge 101. Your emotional response to what I'm saying is extreme. Saying that child abuse that is further defended by a society that claims to love and protect children. See, it's the hypocrisy. Right. If if you grew up in it's you see it's a trap, right? So if you grew up in a society that says, "Oh, to hell with children," right? Oh yeah, children are always wrong. We just you know you can do whatever you want to them, and who cares, right? They're just property. They're, they have no rights. They have no right. If you grew up in that society, then at least its society wouldn't be hypocritical. But oh, we love our children. We do anything for our children. Children of the future. Blah. blah. Like you get all this propaganda about how incredibly sensitive to and pro-child and pro-children your society is, and then when you are abused as a child and you talk about it as an adult, society's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. When I hear any of that, that's really bad. You're a bad person for bringing any of that up. That's the problem. The problem, the most fundamental problem, is not the abuse. It's not the attacking of the victims of abuse when they bring it up as adults. It's the continued hypocrisy of saying that children are wonderful, we love children, we do anything for our kids, children are the future, blah, 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 right? So in a free society, you won't get trolls. I mean, maybe a few people who got brain tumors or whatever, but you won't get trolls. Because children will be protected, and children who are protected will grow up to absolutely love their societies. But you see, all the people who just want to tear down the West, who hate Western society, why? Because Western society failed to protect them as children. 100%. It's the only answer you need. It's all there is. Why do people want to tear down the West? Because the West claims to treasure children, but refuses to protect children. And then attacks children when they become adults for talking about how traumatized they were. Everybody knows. Everybody knows. That taking fathers out of the family puts children at massive risk. And that massive risk is manifested in rampant child abuse enormously commonly. So a society that says we really care about children, we want to protect children, but we do everything, would be doing everything it could to promote fathers in the home. But it's not. It's not. 
In fact, it's doing everything it can to denigrate fathers and drive them out of the home. You ever have this, at some point when you were a kid, at some point when you were a kid, do you remember when you learned about the national debt? Do you have that you have that experience? We all do, right? At some point, you learn about the national debt. And your society that says, well, you know, we've got to have government education because children are just the future and children have to be educated and children have to be taught how to read and to write and to think. And we've got to have government health care because children need access to health care and they've got to get healthcare and they need doctors and, and we just we care so much our kids are everything to us. And we gotta have maternity leave and we, we gotta have all of these programs, we gotta have food stamps and we gotta have all of these programs for children because my God, we just we care about children so much. We just want children to have this wonderful future. And then at some point somebody says to you Oh, yeah, by the way, you were born into a million dollars of debt. Because the government won't restrain its spending and wants to buy votes from the citizens. So, yeah, sorry, you got, you're a million dollars in debt just by drawing your first breath. You're collateral for the rampant vote buying of late democracies. Do you remember that moment? That holy shit moment. Wait, what? I've been told my whole life that children are everything and we do everything for children. But you won't even stop wasting trillions of dollars so the children aren't born into massive debt? What? You remember, right? It's appalling. And then you probably have the urge, right, to talk to the teacher. You talk to the teacher and you say, wait a minute. How could the society claim to care about children and have us born a million dollars in debt? Explain this to me, please. I can't fathom it. How can a society claim to care about its children and financially pillage them like a bunch of fucking Vikings because they don't want to say no to a bunch of government unions or a bunch of government dependents. Explain this to me. Did you have that urge? I think I get most of my holy shit moments listening to Steph. Yeah. Do you have that urge to ask the people around you? Sit down and say, okay, mom, dad, okay, like, help me understand. Like, you're like, oh, well, you've got to go to the dentist because we care about your health. And you've got to go to the doctor because we care about your health. And you've got to go to the optometrist because we care about your health. And you've got to go to school because we care about your education. And we want you to have a great life and this and that and the other. I'm born a fucking million dollars in debt already. I can't ever pay that off. What have you done in your lives to try and have me not 
be born buried and dead. And then you say, okay, well, look, there's government spending. Let's cut some of this government spending. Because you as a society, you care about your children, and, and clearly children aren't responsible for government spending. We weren't even a twinkle in our daddy's eye when most of this stuff was put in place. So we've got to change it. We've got to cut government spending, and we've got to reduce this debt, and we've got to get rid of it because it's not the children's fault, and they're being eaten alive by foreign banksters. That's not right. You know, they'll how you deny the vote if you if 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 you don't if you have to show ID, just you're denying the vote to people. <laughs> denying the vote to people. And yet you'll hand a bill of a million dollars ahead to children who couldn't vote at all. <laughs> I don't care about kids. It's virtue signaling and posturing to say you care about kids. Everyone has to say it. But if you were to run on a political party and you would have to say, look, government spending has to be cut like 75% because we care about kids, right? You, you get your kids inoculated, you, you make sure that they don't have too much screen time, you get them outside into the fresh air, you make them run around because you care about their health. What the hell does any of that matter if they're a million dollars in debt? More so by the time they get to working age. And if you were to run on a platform, a political platform of saying, Oh, yeah, we have to eliminate the national debt. It's unbelievable cruelty to our children. You get three votes if you're lucky. And the only reason you do it is to say, okay, well, at least we've cleared that up. We have a society that doesn't care about its children. And then those children grow up to be negative towards society. And it's... It's dark comedy. Most people who grow up care exactly about their society as much as their society cared about them. Somebody says, I had to sign up just to say you're describing why I'm in my mid-40s and chose to never have kids. Well, but... Didn't you just let the government take away your kids, your family, right? You got mad and you let them control the discourse to the point where you didn't even have kids and three billion years of evolution stops with you because you listened to the wrong people. And that's really hard to get ahead, right? I mean, even when I was in the business world, right, you'd get a raise or you'd get some money here and there, but it made some tax increase or something and just really hard to use. One step forward, two steps back sometimes, right? So how do you deal with the fact that we do have a lot of victims of child abuse that society will not only fail to acknowledge, but will also attack for bringing up their own victimization and side with the abusers? Okay, that, you understand those are the real trolls. The real trolls are the people who say, we care about the children, but if you talk about being abused, right, the most dangerous place for children outside of the home without a father present is government schools. Government schools have a far higher rate of predation upon children than the worst church that you could possibly find. Far higher, like many times higher. Kids still have to be forced to go, right? So how do you deal with this issue in 
some theoretical social media company where you say all legal speech is allowed and people post all this terrible stuff. Well, there are a number of different ways to do it. The first is now, you know, you have the Lightning Network on top of Bitcoin and so on. You can do micropayments. So you could charge a penny for a post. You could charge five cents for a post, whatever, right? Or a reply. And you could charge, or you could make no charge for text, five cents for a picture, 10 cents for a video, or 10 cents per minute a video. I have, I'm on sites like this where I pay a dollar to upload a video. Absolutely, happy to, it's fast, right? You could set up your own payment system, your own, but you know, you kind of want it to be out there in the world, right? So you would simply charge people for posting, right? One option and perfectly possible and easy. And you could set it up so that you could take credit cards, anonymously process them to deposit money into an account on the site use it for micropayments, you could wait to do it all at the end of the month, could be any number of things, right? So uh, you understand how the Lightning Network works. It, it's like a, a bar tab, right? You, if you take, I used, we used to take clients to bars um, when I was in the business world and you wouldn't charge for everyone, everyone, oh, here's a Coke, we'll pay for that. Oh, you want a beer, we'll pay for that. Oh, you want some nachos, pay for that. We didn't do any of that. You just, like in a restaurant, right? You, you order an appetizer, they don't charge you for the appetizer and then say, what do you want for your main course? It just all accumulates, you pay it all at once at the end. That's what the Lightning Network does, right? So you could do all of that, just month end, right? Just, oh, you posted a hundred times, that'll be five bucks or three bucks or whatever, right? Easy. That would cut down trolling enormously. No automation. Of course, I have no idea why social media companies allow any any level of automation at all. I have no idea. It's completely incomprehensible to me, unless they just want to bump up their numbers for their investors or their advertisers, but it just it makes no sense. You no bots, right? Micropayments for these things. Now, another thing you could do is you could require proof of identity in order to be able to post. It's possible. It's possible. Now, I know a lot of people want anonymous. That's fine. All right, that, it's just possibilities. I know sure, lots of people have worked with these kinds of things. Now, another thing that you could do, at least one, one thing that I would be interested in pursuing if I were starting a social media company is I'd say this, okay, look, it's five bucks to join. You can join read-only for free, but it's five bucks if you want to post. Just a one-time payment. And the default will be that, and, and so, yeah, so, and, and so the default would be you can, you can browse all you want, but if you want to post, you have to pay. Maybe not per payment. Maybe five bucks gets you six months or five bucks gets you three months or five bucks gets you a year or something like that, right? Just you need some barrier to entry. You need some barrier to entry. And the case that I would make to the users the way that I would the way that I would sell it to the users is say, look, time is money. Right? So let's say you get paid twenty dollars an hour and you spend an hour on our website, you'll spend half an hour going wading through crap. Right? Just one hour. Half of that one hour is just waiting through crap that you don't want to see, that's boring, that's dumb, that's stupid, that's off topic, that's trolley, whatever, right? So I would make the case and say, look, you spend one hour on our site, you've just wasted $10 of time. You get paid 20 bucks an hour, 
half an hour of your time is worth 10 bucks. If half an hour of your time in just one hour is wading through crap, a $10 membership has saved you amazing numbers of hours, right? So let's say that you, you do it this way. Let's say you spend an hour a day on my site. Let's say trolls are allowed, right? So then you're spending half your time wading through troll crap, which is time is money, right? And let's say that you spend an hour a day, so you spend 30 hours, you spend 30 hours a month on my website, of which 15 hours are wading through troll crap at 20 bucks an hour, right? Your 15 hours is $300. Right, so you've it, trolls have cost you three hundred dollars, just by fifty percent of the time is just garbage, crap, nonsense, useless. Right, so you can very easily make a case, and that's somebody who's only making twenty bucks an hour. I mean, if you're a lawyer scrolling through this stuff, right, it's crazy. Thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars a month you're wasting because you don't want to pay a ten dollar a month membership or something like that. Right. So having a barrier to entry saves enormous amounts of money, but because people just kind of scrolling through these sites without thinking about how much time they're wasting on crap. Unbelievable. They don't understand that time is money and that detrolling through payments is going to save them a fortune. And you could do all these studies. You absolutely could do these studies. You could get sample users, random users. You could have them. You could have them agree to share their usage anonymously or whatever. And you could say, "Oh yeah, half of this." You could have them rate. You know, you could easily make this business case and say, "If you're making a hundred dollars an hour, thirty hours on this site a month, right? Three thousand dollars." Half of that is troll crap. That's $1,500 a month of your time that it's costing you to have trolls on the site. $1,500 a month. Are you insane? $1,500 a month, right? That is insane. You could easily, easily find a way Right? That's $18,000 a year. That's one hour a day, $100 an hour you make. Half of it's wasted on troll crap. That's $18,000 a year. Boom, right there. $18,000 a year. So anything that's less than $18,000 a year is saving you money. And again, I know that it's sometimes at night and you're in the toilet, you're not getting paid, but you understand, right? It would also help parents if children had to pay there would be a way for them to not be on these sites and people have this delusion right they have this delusion that if you don't pay for access to social media it doesn't cost you well in fact it costs you even more because you don't associate it with money and people often forget the time is money so i'll tell you something right i'll tell you something interesting right about my life and how i think about things so I'm 55. I probably have 20 more good years before, you know, health issues, you know, everyone gets health issues in their 70s and all that, right? And I had cancer once before. So you never know how much time you have, right? So I got 20, probably 20 good years, 20 healthy years, right? 
So what I do is I say, I double everything in terms of, right? So if I say, I want to, uh, I, was, I was thinking of playing Elden Ring, right? But I sit there and I say, okay, so if Elden Ring cost me 50 hours to finish, I have to think of that as 100 hours because I have fewer hours left. Right? 100, uh, 50 hours when you're 55 is way different from 50 hours when you're 20 because you've got so many more hours ahead of you. Right? If you're starting to run out of money, your remaining dollars become that much more valuable and you have to hoard them that much more. So when it comes to um, when I was, you know, 20 and, and if Elden Ring had come out, I'd be like, oh, yeah, I, could, I got 50 hours to burn or whatever, right? But now I sit there and say, okay, but that's really 100. could be 150 hours, depending on how much time I have left. You've got to change. You've got to change things. You've got to change how you view things. Because time is not just money. Time is mortality. Right? Do I have 100 hours? When I only have 20 years left, do I have 100 hours to burn? The answer is, well, not really. Not really. Particularly when that's solo time rather than time with my family or time with my friends and so on, right? So there are lots, and, and also people don't understand that, you know, when I was on Twitter, one annoying thing about Twitter was, the ads were just everywhere. Like every page you'd scroll, be ad, 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 and the ads would take up like the whole screen or half the screen, depending on whether you're a tablet or phone or whatever. And then it just at the very bottom, it would say promoted, right? And, and you wouldn't know, and you just have to scroll past, and then you scroll too far past, you have to scroll back. The ads, not only do they cost, I mean, they're quote free, right? Even though they're, you know, gathering God knows what from you, but they're not free because it wastes your time getting to the content that you want through the giant nest of ads. So troll containment, trolls occur because trolls don't value their time and they're not being charged their money. Trolls, I've done a lot to fight trolls by working really hard, really hard to recognize, acknowledge, and sympathize with the victims of child abuse in this life, right? Those of you out there who've been victimized as children, my brothers and my sisters, I absolutely love your courage in continuing in this world. And my listeners aren't doing damage in the world, so I love the fact that you found a way to be positive and contribute something in this world, or at least not destroy it. I am so unbelievably sorry that you live in a ship, shit heap of people who praise children and do everything they can to undermine and hurt them in society as a whole. I'm incredibly sorry that you live in the Dantean lower realm of hell where people claim all these virtues and act the complete opposite. I hate that your families generally turned on you when you brought up the abuse. I hate that society as a whole generally turns on you because you're not an inconvenient little broken piece of sheep that just nods and smiles whenever the abusers stride by with their thunderous legs and blood-soaked toes, I'm incredibly sorry that that's the society that you live in. And I'm also very sorry that when you saw someone like me, as I have done from the very beginning of the show, stand up for the victims of child abuse, stand against the abusers, stand with the victims, 
that you see all the shit in the known universe rain down upon me for daring to speak up for the children that society says they praise so much. That you went through a second round of abuse in watching how I was dealt with by the world as a result of standing up for children. I'm very sorry that you had to see that. I really am. It's just awful. It's absolutely awful. And the fact that you have managed to escape and avoid nihilism and retain your love of wisdom and virtue and philosophy is testament to a truly Viking spirit of conquering the forces of darkness that seem very often to be overwhelming the world as a whole. And I, my level of admiration for you, for this community as a whole, for standing in the face of this shitstorm of backlash. And it's a shitstorm because society is so hypocritical about all of this. And I just massively admire all of you for standing in the face of this sandblast of violent hypocrisy that comes pouring out at anyone who actually listens in society and says, oh, you, you guys care about children? Okay, well, here's what caring about children actually fucking looks like. And then it's like, oh, shit, well, we didn't mean that. My God, you cult leader, right? It's uh, incredible. And, and you should be absolutely enormously proud to conquer the nihilism that attempts to be implanted like a virus in the mind of children through endless abuse and then the hypocrisy and double-dealing of society that claims to love children but always ends up destroying them hand in hand with the abuses they protect. To be able to resist the nihilism that is attempted to be provoked within you, the stripping of your soul in the face of endless, bottomless, Nietzschean levels of hypocrisy, to be able to stand with your own two feet and continue to love truth, virtue, and wisdom. God. What an unbelievable accomplishment. What an incredible, incredible achievement. That you should just wake up, give yourself a giant hug in the mirror every morning and say, what a hero. Because you are. You absolutely are. To resist the lure of darkness that these breadcrumbs from hell are designed to draw you towards. To resist the lure of vengeance and destruction and trollery. And to still march forward with positivity and hope at times and love at times as we all have at times is a feat that dwarfs any mountaineer dwarfs any mere act of physical or martial courage i'm not a hero nor strong says someone i'm still not living my values but thank you anyway well, none of us get to live our values for real, for deepness. None of us. I mean, we all have to make compromises for the world that we live in and the evils that are out there. I really love your reading of To Be or Not To Be, the poem. Well, it's not really a poem. It's a soliloquy from Hamlet. You can't find it anywhere. So just go to fdrpodcast.com and search for Shakespeare, and the show that I read that in will still be there. Will still be there. The nihilism did threaten, but it did not win. Yeah, for sure. That was my very first real novel, was Revolutions, about a nihilist choosing between the revolution and a family. <coughs> Saved my ass. Saved my ass. Oh, well, what's left of my ass? I ate 40,000 calories of my own body over the last 10 days. <laughs> I'm a self-cannibal. <laughs> it's like being a self-plagiarist, but a whole lot less fun. All right. I have another topic, but it's been an hour and a quarter, so I will think I'll wait for that for Friday night. 
Matt says, thanks, I'm having a tough time, but I keep going because of what you have shown is possible with self-knowledge. Well, thank you, Matt, I appreciate that. Should we compromise and appease to avoid danger or big trouble in the moment, but never forget about it going forward? Yeah, of course, you know, of course. When the enemy is overwhelming, then you take a step to the side, of course. Yeah. He who fights and runs away lives to fight another day. <laughs> right? We're in it for a long haul. It's a marathon, not a sprint. And nobody marches from victory to victory. There are times in the wilderness, there are times where you get your ass handed to you on a platter and you just uh, withdraw, lick your wounds and figure out what you want to do next, which could be any number of things. What's the topic? Oh, the mental health necessary, like the necessity of avoiding reality in order to maintain your mental health. That was my other topic, but I'll, I'll do that. That's a big one. It's a big, big topic that how much of reality, current reality you have to avoid in order to maintain any levels of sanity. But no, I, I, you know, it's not just you, like my level of constant, like I work in such a concentrated way. You know, this is, you know, I do a couple of shows a week, although I do call in shows. I do a couple of shows a week, but the thinking that I do to prepare for them and the focus and concentration I have in the communication, especially because live streaming, you guys have completely wonderful feedback and thoughts about it. So I will, I think I will wait till Friday. And, you know, you've waited your whole life. You know, the two days will, will be all right. And, uh, oh, yeah, so I'm going to get working on my audiobook. I'm going to get working on my audiobook of the book that I wrote. The book that I wrote, which will blow your freaking gourd. <laughs> You will absolutely be stunned at this book. It's really, I've got, I've got an eye or two on it from people outside uh, uh, and uh, getting some really good feedback from it. So, yeah, it is. Uh, yeah, keeping your eyes open means going insane. Yeah, I have a theory about veganism and I have a theory about like why socialism exists and it has to do with a failure to ignore the reality that we need to ignore in order to maintain our sanity. So I know that's a wee bit of a teaser, but I will definitely get to that. So uh, it definitely, the book definitely involves peaceful parenting, but in a format that will blow your mind. Because <laughs> I just didn't write, didn't want to just write a book on peaceful parenting. I wanted to write a book convincing people of peaceful parenting and nonfiction was not the way to go. So it is uh, really, really something I'm amazed at how it came out. I'm so pleased at how it came out and I hope that you will like it too. It will of course be available for free. Through the website, I was actually thinking I would do... When I start recording the audiobook, I thought it would be interesting as a live stream. I don't know if that would be at all interesting if you'd want to watch that creative process, because uh, I get really distorted faces when I do my voices. <laughs> so I don't know. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. But I think it'd be interesting to have it out there as a live stream and see that that process. No, it's not a platonic discussion. No, I'm sorry. I hate to be so mysterious, but I'm still. How long is the book? It's pretty long. Yeah, it's pretty long. It's pretty long. It's got everything. All right. Well, listen, I also forgot to have dinner, so I will uh, probably get uh, around to eating something because I have nothing on my I have nothing on my meat flesh suit le left to eat. My body has no backup. It's going to start eating my spleen uh, if I have to. So. All right. Thanks, everyone, so much. Lots of love. Please, please, to help out the show would be very, very important for me. I, I would really, really appreciate it. Freedomain.com forward slash donate freedomain.com forward slash donate you can donate anything you see fit the locals community is really great and thank you everyone so much for joining and participating in that that's freedomain.locals.com and don't forget my free books 
fdrurl.com forward slash TGOA for The God of Atheists. Free, uh, uh, that's the, um, uh, that's the uh, audiobook. Uh, also, you can get uh, PDF, Kindle, HTML, audiobooks at almostnovel.com and justpoor.com. Justpoornovel.com, sorry. And so uh, please check those books out. I'm continuing to listen to Just Poor obsessively and getting more and more out of it, of each reading. So I really appreciate everybody dropping by tonight. A real pleasure to chat with you guys. I can't even tell you how much I love you because that would be another show that would go on all ways. But without you, I'm nothing. And without you, philosophy can't make its way through the uh, future. So I really, really appreciate your support, your kindness, your feedback, your criticism all helps enormously. And I love you guys for sticking by and sticking around and have yourselves an absolutely wonderful, wonderful night. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Well, thank you so much for enjoying this latest free domain show on philosophy. And I'm going to be frank and ask you for your help, your support, your encouragement, and your resources. Please like, subscribe, and share, and all of that good stuff to get philosophy out into the world. And also, equally importantly, go to freedomain.com forward slash donate to help out the show, to give me the resources that I need to bring more and better philosophy to an increasingly desperate world. So thank you so much for your support, my friends. Freedomain.com forward slash donate.